It really is a privilege for me to be here this morning. As your pastor Robert said, I'm Curtis DeBose, one of the four pastors of Mitchell Road Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. And it has been our privilege over the last five or six years to have Greg and Tricia amongst us. I remember when they first came to Mitchell Road and moved into Greenville from being in seminary in St. Louis that uh, they jumped right in. And I'm sure that's what happened here as well, that they had the the, uh, distinction of being the most hospitable family in the church quickly. And uh, I was glad, as I'm uh, the pastor over the Christian education, to be able to quickly bring Greg into my fold to help me in the Christian education, the Sunday school, and he led in our, um, our new members classes. He had all kinds of opportunities to minister and to be used in God's kingdom even before being ordained, which we are very thankful for. And it was also my privilege as I worked with the seminary students as they progressed through the stages of ordination uh, in the PCA. It was my privilege to work with Greg. We had many, many lunches together uh, talking about various issues that were going on in the Presbyterian. As he had the next step to complete, we saw him through that. I held his hand many times to uh, help him go through the next step. You may not know, but our Presbytery, Calvary Presbytery, is known to be one of the toughest in the PCA. But hey, Greg made it through. That's a huge, a huge compliment to him to be able to come through our Presbytery successfully. I hope y'all have been a little easier on him than ours was. But anyway, um, and so it really is a delight to me, and, and not to forget Tricia. Tricia got very involved in our women's ministry headed that up for at least a couple of years. I worked somewhat closely with her in that and know that she has a real vision for discipleship. She has a real vision for people coming to know Jesus better. And we're so thankful for that. And I know that she will be a blessing as well as Greg and their kids. Please be good to them. One of of my biggest regrets in helping him through the process is we had to say bye whenever he got the call here, but we are very thankful to have been a little part of that process, and now I know that he's in good hands. He's already spoken very highly of you and the love y'all have shown him, and we say thank you for that for Mitchell Road Church. My scripture this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 15, and I'm going to be reading through the first 21 verses there. If you have your Bibles, you follow along with me. I'm reading from the ESV. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer called you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, and I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. This sermon will be maybe a little different than what you're used to. Whenever I um, do the proceedings for a wedding, there's the, the time where the congregation is involved in it, and then uh, there's a time in, the, in my wedding services where I just speak to the, to the couple themselves. I say, congregation, you're welcome to listen in, but I'm really just speaking to the couple. So, congregation, you're welcome to li listen in this morning, but I'm really focusing my address to Greg, hopefully to be able to encourage him in the ministry that's ahead of him. You're welcome to listen in. I read a story this week about a fireman in Houston who had, back in August, lost a good friend in the sheriff's department. The sheriff's department um, friend, Darren Goforth, had stopped at a gas station in Houston to fill up his patrol car to continue on his duties, and while he was there putting the gas in his tank, a man walked up from behind and shot him dead. The man, the policeman fell to the ground and there was no resuscitation for him. Hopper, however, the fireman, wanted to do something for his family after this had happened, so he decided that he would come up with a plan to develop a decal that people could post in the back, of their, the back window of their cars to remind them of this officer and of the service that he had given to his, his uh, native Houston. And the decal said, I've got your back. Through this campaign, the fireman was able to raise a good bit of, of money for the family of Mr. Goforth. But the problem was that Hopper really wished that he had been there whenever the assailant came up behind the, the policeman to shoot him. He wished that he could have been there, maybe even to, to put himself between the bullet 
and his friend, but he was not able to do that. He was not at the place where he needed to be to be able to really have his friends back. We, however, are not like that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus in that because he is always with us, because he's always there, he has our back no matter what the situation is. And with that, I want to bring out some specifics of this passage, Greg, to remind you that Jesus, you really can rest in him. I know to think about becoming a pastor of a church, to feel the responsibility that we have on our backs, in a sense, for your nurture and your care and to present you more holy and sanctified before the Lord, it is. It's a weight that is there in some sense. Keep that in mind as you, as you love on our friend Greg here. You can pray for him that he can carry that weight to Jesus regularly. But the first thing I want to say as we look at this text is that we can have confidence in his fatherly care for us. As you see there in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. And there are many people, many uh, parts of our culture these days that are telling us, no, you know, Jesus is just one of many ways. But I just want to restate as we begin this morning, no, Jesus himself claims to be the true vine. He is the one that we have to be connected to if we're going to have a relationship with the Father. And that is what we have to be working on in our lives on a daily basis. And that's one thing that Greg and Tricia are going to be helping you with, to establish a closer and closer relationship with Jesus, to be connected more and more with the vine. But even as we see that Jesus is the vine, we see that he says that his father is the vine dresser. And if that's the case, that means that God is sovereignly ordaining everything that's going on in your congregation and in his church around the world. And if that's the case, Greg, again, you can be encouraged. God has your back in that. I think about that the Father deals with the vine in the ways that it needs. And here in verse 2 it says, ultimately for your greater good that you would bear much fruit. And in that bearing fruit, he's talking about bearing fruit for his kingdom's sake, that the kingdom would be growing, that more and more people would be made worshipers of the Father and his Son and the Holy Spirit. That is what this bearing fruit is all about, that we that we proclaim the gospel to others, that we live the gospel before others in such a way that they are drawn to Jesus to become his worshipers as well. And that is what God the Father is all about. And sometimes he does that through times of joy, and sometimes he does that through times of trouble, that is, making disciples. We have a uh, lady in our church who wrote the pastors an email this week uh, two weeks ago, we had a missions conference at our church, and we brought in lots of missionaries from all over. One of the particular missionaries that came works for our, our mission board, Mission of the World, and he's a counselor for the mission board. And as he was talking about his ministry to our missionaries, he uh, mentioned a particular therapy that he uses, particularly for people who've had trauma in their lives, people that have had a problem working through severe trauma in their lives, but he has found 
a way, a therapy that has been very successful in many of those people's lives. And so as he said that, one of the ladies in our congregation heard, and, and after the, the, um, the time was over, she went up and talked with him and said, I've had some severe trauma in my life. Is it possible that I could have that therapy done on me to be able to work through my trauma? And so the, the missionary said, yes, I'd be glad to try. So they went to the pastor's office, and during one of the sessions, he worked with her through this therapy. She wrote the email this week and said, it has been miraculous, the help that I've had this week as a result of the process, the therapy that that missionary had with me during that time in the pastor's office. So again, we, we often think, well, you know, trauma and abuse and all those kinds of things are terrible things in our culture, and they are. But as we look in God's sovereign providence, we know that he uses hard times, bad times, to bring about growth and goodness and blessing to others. And I know that that woman will take advantage of the healing that she's already experienced in her life to be able to pass that along to others who may have experienced the same kind of thing. We have a, another family in our congregation who's the wife has had MS for several years and she has ups and downs as far as the ability to function. She has a job, she has a family and that kind of thing. So she needs to function in many ways to be able to carry out her particular duties. But about a month ago, she had something similar to a stroke and it left some of her vision uh, decreased. It left the, one of the sides of her body somewhat not as good, not as able to function as it had been. And her husband is in my journey group, a men's disciple group that we have, and he tells us regularly about her situation. And uh, he had mentioned that, you know, sometimes it's very hard. He feels like now, because of this recent stroke-like incident that she had, he has to do all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the dealing with the kids, all the carpooling, everything in the home. And sometimes, he shares with our group, it's just overwhelming. I feel like I'm giving and giving and giving, and I'm not getting anything back. You know, again, we're, we really appreciate his honesty, and we can understand to some degree where he's coming from. But as he says that, he doesn't leave it there. He ends his statement by saying, but I know the vows that I've taken to my wife in sickness and health, in good times and in bad, and by God's mercy, God's grace, I want to continue to give and give and give, even though sometimes I feel like I don't have anything else to give. And for us as a group to look at this man, we can see the love of Christ expressed in and through him in ways that he's never been able to do before because he's never had that opportunity. But God is using even this very hard time in his life to glorify himself and to bring this man into a deeper relationship with Jesus and with his own family. His wife, of course, so greatly appreciates all the sacrifice that he's making on her behalf right now. God is growing his church, Greg. He does it through all kinds of ways, but you can count on it. He's in control and he will see your people 
through whatever he brings their way. And I know that he will use you to help encourage them in that. God also uses his word to clean us up. Even as the, the uh, musical team was just singing to us how powerful the word is, in verse 3 you see there um, that, that Jesus saying, the word makes us clean. We often underestimate the power of God's word in our lives because we, don't, we see that it doesn't change us. It doesn't grow us up as quickly as we would like for it to. Sometimes we want to say, God, just make me holy right now. Just go in and do it. You know that? But it has been the experience of the church through the ages that that's not the, gate, God, the way God works. God works through a slow process of more and more helping us to realize how dependent we are on him. That we can't just be holy he could zap us with that much of the Holy Spirit in this life, I guess, but he's chosen not to because in the process of making us holy, he draws us closer and closer to himself. And that's ultimately what Jesus is all about, helping us to get to know him better, helping us to experience him. And even though the word doesn't change us as quickly as we would like sometimes, it does. And I just want to encourage you in that as well, Greg. Don't ever underestimate the power of the Word. Don't ever underestimate your ministry in the Word here in this church. That's what God uses, as the choir just sang, as you were just teaching about in your Sunday school class. That's what God uses to ultimately bring us to the place He wants us to be. Again, my journey group, the men there, I have about eight guys in the group, and some of them are regular in their devotional lives, and some of them are not so regular in their devotional lives. But we're all discovering the more, we, more time we spend in the Word, the more God uses that to change us and to help us. It helps us with the temptations that come our way every day. It helps us in the relationships that God gives us every, way, every day to know how to love people in a way that we wouldn't just naturally love without the Word guiding and directing and empowering us to do that. Greg, you can labor in confidence with God here as the vine dresser in this congregation. Labor in, con in confidence that He will do His will. He will perform His will in this congregation to make them more holy as a result of your being here, the Word being preached, the Spirit being alive and active in each of your lives. The second point I want to bring out is that relationship with Jesus, the relationship with Jesus that we have assures us of success in ministry. Verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me. And abiding is all about relationship. It's all about communication, of being in touch with God and realizing that he's in touch with you unlike that, that fireman who couldn't be there with the policeman when he was shot. God is always here, always has our back, always is here for us to call upon. Jesus says there in verse 4 that we can't bear fruit unless we abide in him. Do you hear that? The master of the universe says we cannot just go on and try in our own strength and ability and power to make disciples and grow the church without the Spirit of Christ at work within us. 
Wisdom, power, and ability comes only through Jesus Christ. But Jesus goes on then to promise, if you do abide in him, if you have a relationship with him that doesn't just stop with coming here on Sunday morning and then going out and not thinking about Jesus until you come back here next Sunday morning, it doesn't stop with you having a, a, maybe a morning quiet time and you're going through your day and not thinking about Jesus until the next morning quiet time. No, abiding in Jesus is about a moment-by-moment relationship with him. Knowing that he is there always with you, that he loves you, and he wants you to call upon him. So many of us grow up in the church kind of thinking that God doesn't want us to bother him, that, you know, that, you know, we, if we pray about something, that's okay, but we can't just keep praying about it. That's really bothering God. But it really has been my experience in my Christian life that God loves for me to bother him. He loves for me to come and come and come because when I do that, as the book of Hebrew tells us, that's showing faith. When I say, God, I need you, but I haven't seen you work yet, God, so I'm calling upon you again. And maybe two or three days later or a week later, God, I need you in this situation in my life, but I haven't seen you work yet. I'm calling upon you again. I'm looking to you. I'm putting my faith in you that you will do what you promised to do and come along and help me. Now, his help doesn't always look like the way I want it to look, but God does promise to help us, to hear our prayers and to answer, and he does do that. And it builds our faith whenever he doesn't answer us immediately. Thankfully, he does answer us immediately from time to time. But our faith grows whenever we keep calling on Jesus when we haven't seen him come through for us in the way that we're asking. And, as the book of Hebrews says, without faith we cannot please God. He develops our faith by being slow to answer our prayers. But let me encourage you, keep asking. He is not bothered. He loves for you to ask because you're demonstrating, I trust you. I haven't seen you work yet, but I trust you you're going to. I'm depending on you, Jesus. This is not about me. It's about you bringing glory to yourself. I have two sons, and when both of my sons turned 21 years old, I wrote them a letter as a man uh, introducing or or helping a a young man come into the adult of man, I mean, to the the, uh, situation of manhood in their own lives. And as I did that, I picked out about 15 things in my life that I felt like had been most helpful to me. The thing, the habits that I'd gotten into, the the wisdom that others had shared with me and those kinds of things. And number one on my list was having a daily devotional time with Jesus. That looking back in my life, that has been the most significant thing that has kept me in the Christian way. And I haven't always stayed as as, uh, devoutly in the Christian way as I should have. But looking back on my life, having that time with Jesus every day, reminding myself of his truth, of his love, and then talking to him 
about what's going on in my life, and trusting in him has been the most significant thing to help me in my growth in the Christian way. And I, I would commend that to you, Greg. I know that you are faithful in your devotions. Don't let that go. Verse 7 goes on and tells us that because of this abiding in Christ, because of being included in the vine, we have a unique relationship with the Father. It made me think about um, back in the Cold War days. I grew up in the, in the 60s, and I remember people would talk about the red phones on the president's desks. You remember that as people my age? that those red phones were there that were a direct line to the Kremlin in, in Moscow in case anybody by mistake ever shot off any <laughs> nuclear warheads and we needed to, to call them back or something, destroy them or something. But it always impressed me that the president could any time just pick up that red phone and, and speak to the, the uh, premier in Russia to try to work through whatever problems may be going on. Well, Jesus is saying here, we have that kind of direct connection with God. We don't have to go through any other. Jesus is enough. He has provided that connection, that way of communication, that we can come so freely to God. And he encourages us to call upon him. You know, in James chapter 4, it says there that we have not because we ask not. And when we ask, we often ask with the wrong motives. So when Jesus is saying here that you can ask for whatever you want and he will give it to you, it does have some, some uh, boundaries around that whatever you want. If you look down in verse 8 from verse 7, you see it's talking about the kinds of things that will further his kingdom, the kinds of things that will bear fruit for his kingdom in our lives. Jesus promises, if you ask those kinds of things of him, he will answer you. He promises to do that. You have the direct line. You have the red phone to God as you ask him for the things that will further his kingdom in this world. And you can count on that. So Greg, stay in close communion with Jesus. And don't be afraid to ask him for the extension of his kingdom. Again, sometimes he may not answer those prayers as quickly as you'd like, but keep asking, my friend. And then the third point I want to bring out is relationship to Jesus is the place of blessing for you and for others. Verse 9 says, Jesus loves us like the Father loves him. And as I was looking through this passage over the last couple of weeks, I decided for myself that this was the most important verse in this whole passage for Jesus to proclaim to us that he loves us like the Father loves him. If he does that and Jesus never lies, you are in the best place you could possibly be in. Jesus loves you like the Father loves him. How much does God the Father love Jesus? Well, we can't even begin to describe that kind of love, the, the endearing love that we, we think about Jesus on the cross, we think about him on his days uh, on earth, we think about the resurrection and God bringing him back to heaven and, and just proclaiming over and over. What did he say whenever the voice of God would boom out while Jesus was alive? This is my beloved son. 
with whom I'm well pleased. And do you know what? Jesus says that to each of you. You are my beloved son and daughter. If you are in Jesus, if you are a part of his vine today, he says to you, you are my beloved son or daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. He's saying that to you right now. You are my beloved son and daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. But because of the sin that we know that's in our lives, because we know of the thoughts we've had, the desires we've had this morning or this week, it's very hard for us to believe. How in the world could God love us and be delighted in us? Well, the fact of the matter is, he doesn't love and delight over you because of you. He loves and delights over you because of Jesus. When he sees you, he sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And because that is the fact, he loves you dearly. We often refer to the verses in, in Zephaniah 3 that God not only loves us, but Zephaniah tells us that he delights in us. He rejoices over us with singing. Do you think God's rejoicing over you with singing right now? I promise you, if you are one of His, He, he is. I also like to remind my congregation there's nothing you can do to make Him love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. He loves you because of the righteousness of Christ that he sees placed upon you. And he delights in you. You're in the best place you could possibly ever be. And when you believe that, as you believe that more and more, and Greg, I would encourage you Keep reminding your congregation of that. It's so hard for us to really believe that God loves and delights over us. But as we do that more and more, it changes your life. It changes your life. Where do your fears go? Your fears go away. Because I have the God of all eternity, the God of all creation who loves me. Your doubts go away. where you spend your money and your time change, your temptations go away. One of the things, one of the verses that I've discovered in the last several years that has been so significant to me is Romans 2.4. And it says that God shows his, his kindness to lead us to repentance. I think many people who've grown up in my generation feel like God shows us his wrath and his judgment to lead us to repentance. But actually the New Testament tells us another story. It's God's goodness to us, even when we don't deserve it, especially when we don't deserve it. It's God's goodness to us that makes us then 
want to repent of our sins and to walk in relationship with him, to walk in obedience to him. And Jesus goes on to say in this passage that that's the safest place to be when we walk in obedience to him. Obedience is hard for us. We have a sinful nature that is very pernicious, and we have an adversary, the devil, who lies to us constantly, and we are so foolish, so stubborn sometimes, that we believe those lies, and we get out of the safe place. What happens when you sin? What, what happens when you choose to disobey? Well, that's when all the fears come back into your life. That's when all the shame comes into your life. That's when your faith is dwindles. Because how, could, how could I pray and ask God for this? Look at what I've just done. But Jesus in his love for you says, if you abide in me, one of the ways to prove that, to show it, is by keeping your commands, keeping my commands. And in doing that, you're in a safe place. You're there for me to pour out my blessing upon you and blessing and blessing and blessing. And he does that even as sinners. Even though we're sinners, he still blesses us that way. But it's such a better place for us when we're in the place of obedience because we feel the safety. It's so much easier to believe the safety and to grasp onto the safety that we have in Jesus as a result of being there. Being in Jesus, abiding in Him, walking obedience with His help, by His power, by His Spirit, is the best place we can be. And then I just want to close with these words. As you see in verse 18 and following, we can count on it, the world will hate us. Wait a minute. Thought you said God has our back. We don't have to worry. We can trust him. Yeah, we can. But Jesus is also very clear to us that in this world, as we strive to abide in him, as we strive to believe that he loves us and is there for us and delights over us, as we, desire, as we strive to walk in obedience, to stay in that safe place of relationship with him, we do have an adversary. We have an adversary, the devil, but we also have an adversary, the world around us and the culture around us more and more as we see. Jesus promised, if they hate me, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. That's the word that comes to us. And unfortunately, as a pastor, sometimes the persecution seems to come from within the church as opposed to without the church. And that is just something for us to realize and expect as well. Everybody's not going to believe like I believe. Everybody's not going to see that, that we should carry out the programs of the church and all that kind of thing exactly like I or Greg or Robert sees it. But I do encourage you, congregation, try to be a blessing to these guys. We all face 
troubles. We all face opposition. But may it not be from the church as much as possible. Pray for these guys. And when you have to confront them about something, do it in a loving way. A way that remembers that you're a sinner just like they are. They, they are sinners just like you are. That will help you to be a lot more gracious in your love and in your support of them. But even as Jesus was protected by God, when they picked up rocks to throw, to stone him, what did he do? He walked through the crowd and was protected by God to get away. When the Pharisees time and time again tried to trick him into saying something that would, would cause him to sin or something, God gave him the words, the truth. Another missionary story that we have from our missions conference is that um, one of the missionaries that was there was from Egypt. He was an Egyptian man. And he said that God had impressed upon him soon after he became a Christian about 15 years ago that he should ask God for Bibles to, to take to a, a place that needed Bibles in, their, in, in the Arabic language. And so he said, well, God, uh, you know, how many Bibles do you want me to, to be working towards? And, and he thought, well, maybe 10 or 15. God said, I want you to pray. I want you to ask me for 20,000 Bibles. 20,000, God? Where in the world is I'm, am I going to get the money to buy 20,000 Bibles? And how in the world can I get them to this location in Iran that needs the Bibles? Iran being a Muslim country, and there are being lots of checkpoints along the way. Well, the missionary said, by God's grace, the monies came in for 20,000 Bibles. He ordered them. They came, they were unloaded from the port onto this truck that he had set up in Iran, and he knew he had at least two or three checkpoints to go through to get to the place where he needed to go. And so he started driving. He came to the first checkpoint. There were two officers there. He stopped, stopped the truck. The man, one of the officers came up and started looking around. He took a few minutes to look around, and. Then he said back to the other officer, there's nothing here. He can go. The same thing happened through the second checkpoint as well. 20,000 case case cases of 20,000 Bibles on that truck that God blinded the eyes of those guards to. And he was able to deliver all 20,000 as God had said he would. We do have an adversary. We will face opposition in this world. But God has a way for us to make it through. Not that we won't be persecuted, not that we might be thrown in jail one day ourselves for standing for the truth. But even in death, God reminds us, Paul reminds us, to live as Christ, to die as vain. Gain, excuse me, <laughs> not vain, gain. To live as Christ, to die as gain. If that's really the case, if Paul is telling us the truth there, death doesn't stop us. We shouldn't be afraid of death. 
as believers. It is gain for us when we are ushered into the presence of our living Lord. May you be encouraged in that. May you live your life more and more remembering God has your back at every moment through every circumstance. He has provided for you. He will provide for you. He loves and delights over you every moment of your life as a believer. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you now for your giving us your word that does remind us of the truth. Lord, we forget these things so easily, and we are discouraged. We don't feel like you love us because of our own sin and our own failings. We wonder how in the world we're going to be able to do the things that you call us to. We doubt, we fear, all these things. Lord, we confess that to you, and we know that even in that, that does not change your love for us one bit. We give you praise, we give you thanks for that. And I ask, even as you bring my brother Greg and his wife Tricia here, their kids, into this congregation, Lord, that you would show them your great favor. Give Greg great confidence in yourself and in your love and provision, both for him and his family and for this congregation. Help him to love them dearly. Help them to love him dearly. I pray and ask in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.